your source for Big Ten Talk. It's Off Tackle Empire. Okay, so after a week where nobody decided to play any defense, let's look ahead to the next week, and we'll see if that trend continues. Do you think it'll continue in Columbus? Uh, at least for one of the teams, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind of hard to picture it's... Minnesota slowing down Ohio State if they gave up 40-plus to Iowa. So, no, I, I don't know that there's going to be a whole lot of defense played on the Gophers' part. I'm sure they'll give it their best effort. The final score here is going to be... Totally uh, irrelevant. Yeah, it like a mean, lot of points to not as many points. Yeah, I mean, we do keep in mind here that Ohio State did give up 31, I think it was, to Oregon State earlier, so they let their foot off the gas pedal sometimes. But it's like, does it even yeah. matter? No. Like, no. at the end of the day, it's still the exact same result in the win column, and it's not like that, like, yeah, they allowed 31 points, but not in a way that ever seriously threatened no, them to and, lose. No, and by playing their deep backups, they're better, preserved, they're better prepared for the case of injuries. So, no, if you have the choice of winning by 70 and keeping your starters out there and exposing them to injury versus letting the other team get a little bit of action going, but uh, playing enough of your backups that not only are they prepared for case of injury, but in the future, when they're your starters, they already have experience, I think the latter is clearly better. It'll piss some of your fans off. He's like, oh, how are we giving up points to fire the defensive coordinator? But, and you know, to be clear, you should fire Greg Schiano. But <laughs> all that being said, uh, no, if you end up giving up some points as Ohio State and this is a competitive game, as we discussed in the review with Indiana, I mean, having a competitive game to watch should be more interesting to you, for one thing, and it will also likely be better for the long-term quality of your team because they'll know what it's like to play in competitive games longer. So that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, uh, they definitely should fire Greg Schiano so that he has nowhere to go but right back home to the Gers. Oh, man. Do you think that's a possibility that if Rutgers fires Chris Ash, they would try to go back to Schiano? I really don't think they would. Just you because... don't? They hired it. I mean, Ash hired his old offensive coordinator in an attempt to, re to basically relive the best three-year period in Rutgers history. The only yeah. three-year period in Rutgers history that anyone cares about, really. Yeah. You oh, don't yeah, think yeah, wait, we caught... Illinois caught that 2006 Rutgers team, which then reminds me, yes, we have now taken the all-time series lead in the legendary Illinutgers, three games to two. Take that. <laughs> Take that, Gers. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when we dunk on you? Nothing, because I don't think... When do you play next? <laughs> no, we play next year. We are locked in with Rutgers every year until 2021. Then parity-based schedule scheduling comes into effect, and then Penn State's our protected crossover because makes sense. Yeah, because by Penn, then Penn State equals Illinois. Yeah, because by then obviously Penn State's going to be winning like four or five games a year. Uh, although actually, no, Illinois is going to be winning so many by then that maybe maybe Penn State got a raw deal here, right? <laughs> yeah, unfair for Penn State to have to play. Let's give you the best team in the West Division by then. Just anyway, not fair at all. <laughs> let's stop dancing around this one. Any hope of Rutger salvaging this at Maryland? No, I don't think so. It, it you... is not impossible. No. But it seems very unlikely. It seems very unlikely. And the real problematic thing here is when you look at the rest of Rutgers' schedule... There aren't a whole lot of other opportunities for close games. This, I think, is the biggest opportunity for them left. Yeah, as much as I'm down on my own team this week, for example, 
do you think they're going to have a chance of rebounding at the end of the year on the road in East Lansing? No, because I... <laughs> two years ago when Michigan State was 3-9 and nine and completely miserable, they still kicked the shit out of Rutgers. So. Well, I mean, and I mean, looking at this from a Rutgers perspective, okay, so you went on the road, had that meltdown at Kansas. Well, okay, this is a young team you know, that maybe didn't have the uh, the fortitude to come back from the kind of setbacks they faced on the road. They return home against Buffalo. Okay, maybe we ran into a buzzsaw, one of those once-in-a-generation Mac, you know, one of those teams that there always is in the Mac. Nope. That hasn't turned <laughs> out to be the case. But then, okay, now you're home against Illinois, and this is a team that you beat last year. This will show you whether or not, you know, you've regressed, and, oh, man, now you've regressed. Like... If, if they were going to rally, I would have thought it would have been this home game against Illinois. I don't think the rally is going to happen on the road. No. I just can't see it. Nope. Not really a whole lot else to say about it. Of course, they did it. win I mean, on the road last year for their first Big Ten win. I suppose, but But that again. was against a team much worse than this Maryland. Right. And do you see any trends in Rutgers' favor that really establish? I mean, they, they... They couldn't stop our running game. Maryland's going to run all over them. They play I mean, in... Yeah, they play I Indiana... I think Maryland's got a better offensive line. They play Indiana well enough that you think, okay, maybe they will rebound and turn this around the next couple games. But they, they never really looked like they were going to win that Indiana game, even though the well, score no, was one Well, no, of possession. course not. But like I said, it was, they, they showed enough fight after... You have to keep the context in mind. After the previous two games, Buffalo and Kansas, for them to keep it close against Indiana, I think had to be a positive sign. But then this is a case of one step forward and five or six step back, steps back when you play Illinois the next week and get roughed up pretty good. Yeah, by a, again, by a team that you beat last year. That's, you know, maybe if you didn't regress, then that's still bad because that means Illinois gained more ground than you. So, yeah, if, if you see... If you see Maryland put out the same kind of effort, particularly on defense that they did against Temple, maybe you get that result. But that feels like the worst possible outcome for Maryland in terms of And the of kind of thing that's the kind of game that you're not likely to repeat in a season. You're not right. likely to get to that low point of focus and whatever the hell happened. Yeah, hard hard to imagine that repeating itself. So. I think we're in agreement that there's not much hope of an upset there. I can't name the score, but I, I, I'd be willing to bet that Maryland's going to score a bunch because, uh, like Illinois, it's not going to much matter if Rutgers can cover the receivers because Maryland doesn't really go to them anyway. Maryland does its damage on the ground, so no amount of limiting the passing game is going to matter. No. Um, so, yeah, that being said, I mean, it's, it, it feels not unlike... One of the funnier matchups for me from last week, which was Georgia Tech just beating the absolute crap out of Louisville, which is that if you get down big against Georgia Tech, you have a problem because their normal offense is just running every play anyway. <laughs> so yeah. They're just, oh, man. You know. And yeah, there's another, there's an excuse for me to update on. Remember like week one when we said after Bama just eviscerated Louisville? Mm -hmm. I think it was even before that we said this, that, that Alabama was going to eviscerate Louisville and break them so hard that Bobby Petrino would be gone by the end of the year. Uh, that's looking more credible every single week. We heard some fire Bobby Audible chants. fire Bobby. Audible, <laughs> but yeah, from, from what little crowd remained because Georgia Tech had just scored its like 52nd point when I heard those. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, just, uh, just an update on one of the very few things that we said that came to pass. Yeah, we call all kinds of things every week. I mean, remember, we also said Kentucky and Auburn will lose. When are you going to learn that this is the place to come for your gambling advice? Bet your mortgage on what on the words that come out of our mouths. Of course, we didn't have a prediction quite as good as Ohio State's going to win by, like, 
23 points or some weird score like that. <laughs> yeah, um, less, uh, less a go for three or and more of a profit. So. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I think we're both comfortably saying that Maryland just dominates this game start to finish. It might be a thing where in the first quarter it ends up like 7-7, seven to seven, but I don't see, I mean, even if Rutgers was able to move the ball against Maryland's defense, which can be, which can be susceptible at times, I don't see how Rutgers is going to stop Maryland consistently on the ground. The only thing, if I remember correctly, doesn't Maryland play Ohio State next week? Am I thinking correctly with that? The thing is, if you're Maryland, you're much more focused on keeping the Rutgerses of the world down than trying to punch up to Ohio State at this point. Like, Rutgers is a more important game. Oh, I'm completely wrong. Anyway, they don't play Ohio State until like the end of the season. I yeah. don't know where I came up with that information. Okay, so never mind. Anyway, no, Iowa I, I is traveling yeah. to Bloomington. And uh, this... I. I didn't realize this game was a crossover, and I'm yeah. really intrigued. It, it should be an interesting one. Yeah. Iowa, probably the better team on paper here, but not so much so that... I mean, it, we also see a couple of egg-laying games from Iowa in a typical season, don't yeah. we? And Indiana is a team that it's really hard to gauge because their results against Michigan State, like many results against Michigan State, might not have anything to do with how good they are. Yeah. Right? Uh, their result against Ohio State... Okay, they can't go punch for punch with the Buckeyes. Who among us can? They we kept don't... it closer against Ohio State than a lot of teams have and a lot of teams So will. we really don't know how good they are. We don't know if they're as good as Iowa. Um, they very well could be. They very well could be worse. Um, Iowa, I think, should be favored here, but it is a road game. Indiana's offensive line is good enough in pass protection to maybe slow down that um, defensive front the Hawkeyes have. And I have to think... When you think about the matchups in space, I would like Indiana's playmakers versus the guys on Iowa's defense that are going to be chasing oh, them down in the yeah, back Yeah, Westbrook seven. and Fillior, right? Westbrook, Fillior, Stevie Scott. I mean, I think Luke Timian is supposed to be is supposed to be back and playing. I didn't notice if he played last week or not. Yeah, um, I think I think I would say that Indiana has more evenly distributed skill amongst the skill positions than Minnesota, who really has one guy you got to watch out for. Yeah, well, I mean Minnesota's running backs are decent, but nothing special. And then yeah, it's a, it's the Tyler Johnson show. Whereas with Indiana, any other guys can be the lead guy on a given day, uh, and obviously much more of a dual threat quarterback in Peyton Ramsey too. Although I think he's been a bit more selective with his running this year. So maybe I maybe I just am just always trying to find positive things for for perpetual underdog Indiana, for whom this has got to feel like Groundhog Day, just like. Right, 25, nearly 25 years without being in the AP Top 25, and this is closer to the top than they've really been in a long time, but it's still so far away. Um, maybe I just want that perpetual underdog to, you know, to get something that matters under their belts, but I'm seeing this as a pretty close matchup. Yeah, I and mean, we'll see. I, I don't believe any of the betting lines have come out. We're, we're recording today's episode on the Sunday after the game, so I don't know that we've seen any initial lines yet. Oh, I, I would, saw one for Purdue at Illinois. I'm sure you did, you degenerates. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to guess, I would say this is probably going to be Iowa by a touchdown or less in terms of the line, and that feels like about correct in terms of the result here. I think it's going to be a close game. I think Iowa probably wins because... You know, every time there's an opportunity for Indiana to turn the corner, it is, it does at this point kind of feel like Charlie Brown trying to kick the ball. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, I just I just don't know what else to say. I mean, the thing is, we always say the same thing about Indiana, and the main reason is because it just never seems to change. Right. So why would we bother saying anything else? Moving on then to one of the more heated 
rivalry games in the West Division. The battle for the N. Who is the true NU? I mean, never mind the fact that if you just look at the title of the schools, you would see that it's Northwestern because there's Northwestern University and then the University of Nebraska at Lincoln. So really calling Nebraska NU is just kind of like wrong when you look at the name of the school. But apparently we're, we're being told that none of that matters. Well, so. my question is... Are they gonna are they gonna prove these semantics are incorrect? Because I don't think they will. No. Although um, actually, you know what? Nebraska can't stop the run. Can Northwestern run? Can Northwestern resist the urge to try to run even though they can't a, a, against a, the team? A movable object against a stoppable force. Yeah, I can't wait to see exactly how that plays out. I'm sure Northwestern will run more in this game than they did against MSU just because it should work. They're likely to have It should work a little bit, yeah, and they probably want to get back to a balanced approach. And and Fitzgerald is not the kind of guy who... He's going to change what he thinks about his team during the course of a game, but macro, long-term, he's not going to change the philosophy. He's going to try to run the ball when you start the game. Yeah. Where is this game being played, by the way? I didn't think to check. At Northwestern, I mean... The field will be two-thirds red anyway. Although, I wonder, I guess this is something I'll be curious to see. In an 0-5 season, does Big Red Nation show up the same way they typically do? <laughs> um, <laughs> so I guess that's something we'll, we'll find out this weekend. We are uh, having a guest spot here from our Hound Dog analyst who has some very strong opinions that you can't seem to find a way to share with us. Anyway, um... I mean, it's hard not to favor Northwestern by, like, two touchdowns here. No, on paper, no. Although, as I, as I described, I think that we talked about this when we had the Nebraska-Purdue game. You can see with Nebraska, there are bursts of times in every game so far where you can really see what they're trying to do here. I would expect as more time goes by, maybe we will see longer periods of that. But again, as we also All mentioned... All that's contingent on, a- on Adrian Martinez remaining healthy. Right. So that's always kind of a factor is the guy's already been dinged up this year. He takes enough hits, is enough of a focal point to the offense that is he really going to stay healthy for the rest of the season? It's tough to say that. You hope so, but it's just when you've got those offenses that like every play requires some magic by the quarterback, then they're going to be more susceptible to injury. They're going to take all the hits. Yeah, and... I mean, the other side of it is, do we not expect Northwestern to start consistently playing better as they always do as the season goes on? It, <laughs> it feel, it's such a ridiculous thing because, like, there's no, like, you can't look at any advanced statistics that confirm this other than just looking at their relative performances in different periods of the season. But again, they were better last week than they were the week before. They were better that week than they were the week before that. And that trend will likely continue because that's what we've seen out of recent Pat Fitzgerald teams. I wonder what your dog just ate. Um,. Anyway, I'm sure I'll find I, out I, I believe that pick what, you up after him tomorrow. I'm sure I'll find out tomorrow morning. No, I think that your dog just ate one of the uh, one of the takes that was backing me up here. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I I like Northwestern to win this one kind of comfortably, although not not really comfortably. Just like one of those ones where they've got a ten point cushion, and you know, you as a Northwestern fan expect to be able to turn this game off soon, but it never happens, and you have to watch the whole thing. Yeah, so. In terms of a winner, you you said Northwestern by a couple of scores. Yeah. That's probably correct because I, I think at some point Northwestern will want to get back to running the ball and they will find in Nebraska a defense that's willing to let them do it. So Nebraska's going to get a win. Uh, I really think they'll get better as the season goes on. They do still have Illinois on the schedule. Illinois not very good against the run. Um, who else? They, they, could, they could beat MSU. Oh, I mean, they also, Minnesota. They, they schedule an end-of-season game against Bethune-Cookman. They'll certainly get yeah, that Yeah, they'll win, win that one. Um, 
and they do have MSU coming to Lincoln at the end of the year. I think this season could end up going off the rails for MSU pretty quick. I mean, the injuries have been such a problem. If they lose another offensive lineman, I don't know who they would play. Uh, so I guess it's a good way to transition that into the uh, battle for the lasers trophy. I haven't seen that photo coming up on the site as much recently. Yeah, you I'm guys really, are slacking. I'm Let's really some lasers here. I'm very disappointed. Pew, pew guns. I'm very disappointed in our commentary that we haven't seen that posted recently, but. I, I am not looking forward to this game at all. I mean, on the one hand, like MSU has been on this gradual downward slope all season, it feels like. How bad has the defense been? Defense has mostly been fine. They remain susceptible to certain types of passing games. Um, I don't think Penn State's too bad of a matchup for them. The problem is they're really, they're, they remain stubborn on defense. They don't change their schemes for anything. Um, there's not a whole lot of creativity, and they have given up a few more big plays than you'd like, although over the course of a season, that's going to happen. So I would guess statistically they're probably not too bad at giving up big plays, honestly. But well, if you think that they can hang in there and prevent Penn State from just, like, running Miles Sanders up the middle for five, six yards a carry... That's not going to happen. Then that's no. definitely yeah. going to limit what they can do a little bit. But at the same time, you've got enough talent that... You know, what, what do you do? Obviously, you want to spy Trace McSorley uh, so that he doesn't just run for seven yards of carry. Uh, but at the same time, in order to do that, then you're necessarily giving up somebody that could be uh, either a, a nickelback or a linebacker in run support. The thing that I'm most worried about is that we end up doing the same stubborn thing we always do. Dog stampede and try to cover slot receivers with linebackers because if you match up oh my goodness. any of their slot receivers on KJ Hamler, the guy's gonna go over 300 yards on the day. Yeah, the it's dude gonna is be gonna make hideous. an and one mixtape. Uh, it's gonna be hideous, and it, I don't know if I mentioned this on the recording or not, but KJ Hamler was a guy MSU tried really hard to recruit. He's out of the Detroit area. He was thought to be an MSU lean for a long time. This is the first time he'll have played against MSU. I don't care if we lose this game. I just really hope we keep him under control and minimize the sting of losing that particular recruiting battle a little bit. So obviously you know that the Spartans are going to come out and establish the run. Can't but let's wait. just say, let's just say that uh, Warner just decides that he wants to live in reality and understand what his team actually is. If they were to run the whole game through Lewerke's arm and look to pass first, do you think that they would have a chance here because Penn State's secondary can be exploited? Yeah, more of a chance, but the thing is, the result from last year... But can the year, offensive line hold up? No, that's the thing, is whatever game plan they decide to do, this offensive line is so limited right now. They, <laughs> the lineup they, they ran out there last week had two of the starters from the beginning of the season, and neither of them were in the same position they started the season in. They rotated in a third guy who was a starter who was not yet healthy enough to play the whole time. They're starting, or they're playing, giving significant snaps to a former walk-on redshirt freshman guy. It just, like you starting punters out. That's man, that has been a huge problem that I yeah. haven't really talked about. The fact is, Hartberger has been one of the best punters that people are not talking about, and I'm sure we're probably the only part of the internet that talks extensively about punters, <laughs> but. Hartbarger does not really come up that often, and I think he's been really solid. He what? Well, yeah, until he was hurt halfway yeah. through the Arizona State game, and he's That's not saying, I, I think that he's been a really solid punter, like like definitely one of the best in the conference, and probably if nothing else, he's been. I mean, like 
there's it hasn't even been that they've given up all that many big punt returns. They still are not getting distance on punts with either of them. Yeah, guys because they try. you go from an upper half of the conference punter to like not a punter that you'd want to you know, not a guy who's primarily recruited as a punter. Well no, they they're not actually using Lombardi as their punter anymore. They oh. have some I think some walk on who's punting now. Still he's though doing his best, but still when he gets it over forty when he punts it over forty yards, it's a surprise. And it's not like they've adjusted their play calling philosophy on offense to make up for that, you know, thinking, oh, we're in four down territory more often. No, they haven't done any of that. They still they still punted from the forty two last week. Is there any phase of the game where you expect Michigan State to perform better than Penn State? Any facet of the game. You could talk me into their run defense bottling up Penn State's run offense. Um, well, only maybe, though between the tackles, right? Do you think they have the speed to keep with them side to side? I haven't, from what I've seen of Penn State, they don't really do as much of that sort of thing. I mean, it's the, the biggest plays that I remember seeing from Penn State are more guys catching the ball in stride and then making defenders miss, like further down the field. And yeah. that's the part of the defensive game plan that really concerns me is they are a little bit vulnerable to downfield plays. They've been a bit more fortunate with their health on defense. But no, I really think the problem with this game is going to be the Michigan State offense is not going to be able to consistently move the ball. Their punting is going to consistently put them in bad field position, and the pressure is just going to mount. It, I hope that this doesn't turn into what the Ohio State game is last year, but the situation feels kind of similar. So you think this is going to be one of those games that like showcases that there is a dif- difference in the tier that Penn State is on? It could be. Like I said, I think part of it will depend on game plan, because last year, albeit due to bad weather... Michigan State's coaching staff did do a much better job than Penn State's. Now, given what I just saw against Northwestern, I cannot confidently say that MSU's coaching staff right now is going to outperform anybody. And to be clear, I think you'd agree with me on this, but Michigan State overachieved last year by several games. I wouldn't say by several. I mean, several games would mean they'd win like three or four, but by a couple. They won ten games last year. Yeah, but... Outperforming by several games would mean they win like four or five. I mean, no, they won a couple games last year that I don't think anyone expected them to. Yeah. There probably should have been a seven or eight win team last year. But that being said, with what they have coming back and year to year progression, even accounting for injuries, they should have been an eight or nine team win, not, not eight or nine win team this year. And I don't think it's going to happen. So, you know, unless Penn State overlooks this game. No, they've got no reason to look ahead to this. And you consider the fact that Penn State just had a bye week to think about an embarrassing loss in dramatic fashion to the Not team. that the loss was embarrassing, but the way that they gave up that big lead late was... Well, if you, I mean, from the way play. James Franklin's talked about that loss, they are not content to lose that kind of game anymore. So yeah. I don't think there's going to be a substantial motivation difference the games at Penn State. And look, I do not feel good about this game. Whatever line is put out there is probably going to be wrong because MSU does generally keep it close except for that one Ohio State game. But then, again, you could talk me into any line sounding reasonable right now because I have no confidence in this Spartan team to get their offense together in the span of week. Even if all their injured players on offense were able to play next week, that would wreak such havoc on what little chemistry they have established. Um, I wouldn't be confident that they'd be able to put it all together even with all their pieces available. And I don't think that's going to happen. I don't know how many of those guys are expected to come back next week or at all this season because we don't talk about injuries. So I have no damn idea how long any of them will be out. Speaking of not talking about injuries, Illinois is hosting Purdue next week. Um, Of course, the Lovey Smith special there where we don't really know what the nature of anybody's injury is. A.J. Bush was apparently healthy, but 
What I'm going to tell you about this game is, okay, Purdue, if you take out that Eastern Michigan game, they're pretty damn fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, they put up points, and they don't often stop the other team from doing so. Take the over in this game, because I think Illinois is going to lose, and I think it's mainly because we're not going to put up 49 points, and Purdue is. Um, they're going to stop us much more often than we're going to stop them. Uh, we're bad against the pass. Rutgers couldn't really exploit that, although... Sitkowski actually did probably post the best game of his career, which is funny because he threw three picks, but he was over 50%, and you know he had a few drives where he looked pretty good. What I'm saying is that Blau is likely to throw for over 500 yards against us. We really don't do that well uh, in coverage right now, and since we're not doing anything to get heat on the quarterback, uh, I think Purdue's offense could be a pretty bad matchup for us. I don't like, Rondale Moore could go off against us, and um, I just don't think that we are going to be able to match them blow for blow. But I could see something like 49-38, and all I've been saying is, hey, if we're going to lose these games, let's have them be hilarious uh, shootouts. Yeah, it, we've discussed this in the past, but if your team is going to be bad and going to lose a lot of games, at least be good on offense. It's fine if you... <laughs> it's never an encouraging feeling to give up 50 a game or whatever, but if you're putting up 35, 40... At least you have something interesting to watch and some things to cheer for instead of just hopelessly watching as your team grinds away possession after possession doesn't do anything. Hey, I had a pretty decent amount of fun in that 2013 season where we went 4-8, and eight, but Nathan Shieldhouse was the best passer in the Big Ten. Um, well, you know, before, to wrap up this game and put it a bow on it, I actually feel better about Illinois' chances than you do, and I'll tell you why. I've worked my own particular brand of magic here. While we've been recording this podcast, I've made some changes to my college fantasy football roster, and I've I've picked up David Blau and Rondale Moore for this game, which guarantees All right. yes. Blau is going to be knocked out with a concussion in the first possession. Rondale Moore is not going to catch a ball, so you're welcome. Uh, Illini Thanks to the Illini Nation, the you are Andrew. welcome. We have now contained Rondale Moore, and there's still six six days left till this game. So, you know, Illini Nation, you're you're perfectly welcome. Um, hit up my GoFundMe if you want to support my continued efforts to, you know, keep certain teams rolling. And, you know, if you're out there, you're listening to this, you better be careful because if I don't see certain contributions made, I might be targeting your team's skill players next, and that's going to be a disaster for you. So I'm going to be at this game, um, and it's a pretty exciting thing except that then I remember that they're going to come out in those gray uniforms. Is there any way that we can make it not happen? Is there any way that, like, do we really have to do this? They look really stupid, and I want to watch my team wearing its colors. Like, the colors that I wear everywhere. Okay, well, hold on, hold fan. on, hold on now. You're wearing a University of Illinois alumni shirt right now. What color is it, Steve? It's gray, but it has... It's gray. It has I rest my case. No, sir. I'm wearing sir. blue pants, and there is orange on this gray shirt. There is no orange and not really any blue in the Illinois gray uniform. Well, some of the assistant coaches will probably be wearing polo shirts with the yellow eye logo on them. So there will be a little bit... There will be as much orange on their shirts as there is on yours. It just blows that, like, we have to do this... Uh, during homecoming every year, you're asking. Gray you're asking why they did the gray uniforms, though. You're wearing a gray. You bought that shirt, did you not? Is it not gray? You were it buying. Was the, you're me. buying the gray. Somebody, this was before we even had those. Somebody gray is buying though. the gray swag, Steve. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> but it's got orange on it. Damn it! I just, you know, Tennessee got rid of theirs, so there's hope yet. It just, I know it's going to be another couple years, and hopefully we can get them the hell out of there and get back to. I mean, I love. 
the orange blue orange look. It's just it just is so I think that it should be iconic and we just we don't wear it on homecoming. It's right. sad. But yeah, this is gonna be a pretty entertaining game. If the weather holds up, then expect a shitload of offense. Alright, so conference game of the week, wherein I think we will see substantially less offense than Purdue, Illinois. Wisconsin traveling to Michigan. Uh, this is probably the first real test for Michigan since they failed their first test against Notre Dame. Wisconsin, despite the defense being, you know, looking a little bit vulnerable against Nebraska, they've rebounded a little bit and regained their form after the BYU embarrassment. You know, they've knocked off Iowa, basically secured their position in the division such that they could drop this game if they wanted to and still be in pretty good shape, although they do also play Penn State later. Well, I mean, we pretty much know that the way that Northwestern, um, they dropped a conference game to Michigan, so now they've taken a hit. Iowa, of course, lost to Wisconsin straight up. So that does give Wisconsin a cushion, and I'd be surprised if those teams uh, didn't then lose at least one more game. Yeah. I so think, I think it's... I think I'm still pretty safe saying that Wisconsin will definitely represent the West in the Big Ten title game. What this game will show us is if Wisconsin loses, then I don't think Wisconsin's going to stand a chance against the East winner. No, and I don't think that was the case anyway, because I think we're going to see Ohio State again, and I think this Ohio State team is considerably better than the one from last yeah, they're year. they're a murder machine. Um, so I think we were having kind of an academic discussion about that anyway. But yeah, this will tell us a little bit more about both Wisconsin and Michigan, I think. If Michigan wins this game, especially if they win comfortably, even though it's at home, I have to think that you sh you start talking about Michigan from a national perspective as being a potential playoff candidate and as being a potential challenger uh, in the Big Ten East. Now, granted, they still have their games against Penn State and Ohio State. And Michigan State. Who yeah, whatever, e man. Look, <laughs> hey, even though worse Michigan State teams have beaten better Michigan teams. True. Not in the two. I mean, not in the recent past, though. Like, I'm sorry, but until Jim Harbaugh proves that he can actually outcoach Mark D'Antonio, I'm going to say that Michigan State like has an advantage in the coaching department for whatever reason. It's just he's got Harbaugh's number. I mean, they only won the one game. Yeah, it's two and it's one two, at this point. But still, and the one game with the punt play of yeah. a generation. So it's not like this, is, but it, it is true that I suppose MSU always plays its best game against Michigan. Given what we've seen this season, I don't know what MSU's best game looks like right now. I do agree that we probably haven't seen it yet. Maybe they have more players back by then. Who knows? But in any case, I do not put the MSU game in the same category as Penn State and Ohio State in terms of tests awaiting Michigan. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I'm just saying as far as things that have tripped up Michigan in the Jim Harbaugh era. Oh, yeah, MSU's yeah, MSU's yeah. up there. Uh -huh. uh, so anyway... Back to this game, uh, I guess, really, though, if you look at established precedent, if Michigan wins this game, then Wisconsin is bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, that's pretty much all you need to know. Yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see how this plays out, because I think there's, there's a lot of interesting storylines. We mentioned in the review segment that Michigan lost a defensive tackle, Michael Dwum, for... Wisconsin is not a good team to be shorthanded against on the defensive line, and as good as players like Winovich and Gary are, they've mostly been good when doing the pass rush thing. You're not going to see that first and foremost from Wisconsin, who's going to try to run the ball as much as they can. Now, I'm going to be interested here in how Michigan's offense does against Wisconsin because the Badger defense has been very vulnerable in the secondary, and that actually was where Nebraska had a good deal of their success was with Spielman and Morgan down the field. Spielman especially, although he is a cut above anything Michigan has at receiver. God, you only have The Wolverines do have some downfield options. Their passing game has looked a little bit better recently. 
albeit not against the best opposition. So whether Donovan Peoples-Jones and those and those tight ends can make some hay against a Wisconsin secondary that's already kind of bad and is going to be missing a starter for the first half due to a targeting ejection, it'll be interesting to see if Michigan revs up their passing offense quick enough to take advantage of that or if they're ever able to get much of a downfield threat going with Wisconsin having this aggressive attack in front. Um, Andrew Van Ginkle was back last week. I'm not sure how long he was out, but he was hurt earlier this season. So I think Wisconsin has basically all their pieces in their front seven healthy and ready to go. We'll see if Michigan's offensive line is better prepared for this task than they have been for actual good defenses in the past. What I think, there are two things I can definitely say are true about this game. One is that there will be fewer than 70 combined points. Probably, For yeah. sure. Probably. And two is that Karan Higdon will get 25 or more carries. Correct. Because that is what we do. And Jonathan Taylor will get at least 20. Correct. So I think that it's likely to be, I mean, because you talk about people who establish the run. I mean, what would, Bo right Shem, <laughs> what would Bo Schembechler do? What would Barry Alvarez do? Yeah. Yep. So, yep, this is going to be one. I mean, that doesn't mean that I don't think this game will be interesting to watch. So the rushing game is directly proportional to your virility and your your manhood. In other words, this is going to be a big old dick measuring contest. I'm so uncomfortable with saying anything about either of those in this context. <laughs> Suburban dad Paul Christ <sighs> versus genuine crazy person Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. Ugh. All right. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I, th- I think that I think that the uh, Fleck Harbaugh sword fight that we hyped up on last year's podcast I was very disappointed was, that uh, that did not come to pass. Yeah, that, that, that sword fight seems to be a little bit uh, seems to be a little bit more exciting than this one. All right, so that that does it for the conference slate this week. Let's take a look at any national items of interest in doing our predictions of the week. What do you see going on elsewhere in the country? Well, uh, Kentucky and Auburn went down. Um, we called those. Yeah. We said keep an eye out. These the, Kentucky, I don't think is for real. Everything um, below the top two in the SEC is pretty interesting. But of course, like all of college football. You got those teams that are just in the stratosphere that can't be touched. So ultimately, if you eliminate them, this season is awesome. Yeah. If you pre- pretend, if you just pretend that Alabama, Georgia, uh, Clemson, and Ohio State don't exist, there's this a lot season of good games. is yeah. crazy. There's all kinds of wild shit going on, man. And then there's like it's it's like the, these teams living in this gated community outside of a really fun, diverse neighborhood. And it's like, well, we don't get to interact with those people, but we're having a good time anyway. So, yep. so just stop thinking about stop thinking about everything in terms of the college football playoff and go back to the old bowl system. God damn it, old bowl system. We're leading the revolution, but to keep it to to focus. We're gonna a make bit, yeah. Speaking of the revolution, if there this is, is the one, this is you know, in most areas, progress is good, and we shouldn't necessarily revert back to a time when we knew less. This is an exception. We should absolutely go back to the old bull system here. Anyway, moving on, UCF at Memphis. Can the Tigers actually hang? See, on paper, I would think so. Um, Daryl Henderson, for those of you who don't know, is a fantastic running back. Uh, Brady White, at quarterback, has kept the offense generally moving pretty well. Now, this is less of a less of a big game than I would have thought in the group of five because Memphis had that... Unex- unexpected stumble, I would say, against Tulane. Yeah, they got outclassed in that game. Yeah, which was very surprising. Yeah. Um, this was one of the few games I had noted on UCF's schedule where I'm like, oh, they could lose that one. Otherwise... I'll tell you what, though. I think the next hurdle for UCF is going to be basically like the biggest one 
And that's going to come in the war on I-4, which should be, once again, a tremendous game to watch. That's going to be good. Probably I mean, won't be quite as South back Florida and has, shoot him up as last year. but South Florida, I think Blake Barnett is a better passer than Quentin Flowers, and I think by yes. a substantial margin. Yeah. Their offense is different, but it's still really prolific. That's going to be a really awesome game. Up until then, though, this game, I think, is really probably the last one where UCF is likely to get much of a game from their opponent, so... Keep an eye on this one. I don't know if I'm going to necessarily call this as a loss for UCF, but it could be one that you're flipping to in the fourth quarter. And West Virginia at Iowa State. Strange things happen in Ames, and West Virginia has just put itself in the driver's seat. The question is, do they get blown out by the clones? Not blown out, but blown out, <laughs> blown of, the out of the driver's seat. seat. Right. On paper, no, because West Virginia is a much better team. But the Mountaineers also did just get a fight from Kansas last week, albeit a somewhat better Kansas team than we're used to thinking of the last few years. But I'm not choosing David Sills this week, so go nuts, <laughs> man. He'll probably rack up five touchdowns. Yeah, uh, I have also blessed West Virginia by withdrawing from the Will Greer uh, experience, although he's thrown for at least three touchdowns every game this year, so he's actually pretty, been remarkably pretty reliable he option. But really is... Uh, I, I think, like, a guy that does not get enough Heisman uh, publicity. Well, never mind the Heisman thing. He's I haven't seen him mention any NFL yeah. projections. And he, like, he would seem to be, like, I would think he'd be just the perfect NFL prospect. He's, like, he doesn't have as big of an arm as Mahomes does, but he reminds me a lot of Jared Goff sometimes. Yeah. They, don't, they don't run the exact same version of the air raid that Sonny Dykes did, but when you look at the sorts of throws that he's making, I don't really see yeah, a whole he's lot got, of Yeah, he's got so. next-level accuracy. His mechanics are good. He, 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 can, you know, he can zip it in there. He can put touch on it. He can make all the throws. I don't understand why he's not like being talked about as a first overall pick. Yeah, I don't know, man. Well, I mean, I know why. It's because he's not the perfect prototype height and frame, but I mean, he's pretty close. And so, yeah. in any case, we look at this as a potential upset because Iowa State's always down to clown somebody's undefeated season, high Oklahoma State, uh, high Oklahoma. But <laughs> whether that's whether that comes this week or... Well, and also, how often does West Virginia do something like this to themselves? Hello, 13-9. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it... It does, from a program psyche perspective, feel like maybe the Mountaineers are overdue for a little bit of a face plant. I guess we'll see it. These are two games. I'm not calling either of them as the upsets actually happening, but I'm saying that these are candidates. Last week, I, I felt pretty good about Kentucky losing, and that was right. I don't feel as good about either of these calls. So the two big ones for non-conference, though... I think, are Georgia-LSU and Washington at Oregon. Yeah, a little bit of the shine came off of that Georgia-LSU game when the Tigers went to the swamp and lost, but I don't think LSU was ever genuinely a top-five team. I, their offense always felt a little bit like fool's gold to me. Yeah, they have good running backs. They always have good running backs. But Joe Burrow's numbers never really suggested that this was an offense that was going to be able to beat truly elite competition, especially strong defenses, especially on the road. Now, this, is, this game is, is in Death Valley, though. The problem is that LSU is getting their quarterbacks from Ohio State now and not the cradle of quarterbacks. Yeah, you got to grab you another Purdue transfer. I mean, Sindelar hasn't played in a couple games. Maybe you get somebody in his ear, and you're set for next year all of a sudden. So, um <laughs> That being said, uh, this team or this game will determine which one of these teams is eligible to crawl into the playoff picture, you know, like a walker from The Walking Dead. Um, It'll be interesting to see if Georgia is actually uh, in the realm of human teams or if they do belong uh, on a Bama-like tier, though not quite there. It feels as though Georgia is perhaps the least discussed of that upper tier of teams this year. Uh, maybe because they haven't had quite the spectacular results that 
They don't example, quite have the, the, the clout. The Bama Death Star basically. does, yeah. They don't Ohio quite have State's the clout. Had, Ohio State's had more high-profile games so far. This is kind and of And also, Ohio State, Clemson, and Bama have been on that tier longer. I suppose that's like true, they, yeah. they've, they've, you know, if you're saying that Georgia is ascending to godhood where them losing a game is an event and cause for celebration, yeah. then I'd say they're not quite there yet. They're not quite ruining college football with how much better they are than than everybody else on their schedule. Yeah, and, and as we mentioned... I've You don't looked... look at Georgia and think to yourself, why the fuck do I even care about this sport? This is stupid. Right. And so they had the early season matchup with South Carolina that we thought would be a harbinger of how things would go in the SEC East. Now, South Carolina turned out to not be a relevant team. Cause, South you know, Carolina's weird. Because Will Muschamp is their coach, so you expect weird, you expect irrelevant. Uh, so this will probably be the the week when we see, I think the result here is probably Georgia winning, and given that it's on the road against LSU, a team with that caliber of talent, this is probably when we see Georgia step in a little more into the forefront of the conversation. You'll see people saying things of absolute absurdity, like, oh, they can probably give Bama a game in the championship game. Nobody can give Bama a game. You don't want Bama. Yep. Uh, at this point, though, there's no... I, I don't... I think that... I don't think that there's room for Georgia and the West champion to get into the college football playoff. So, I don't know. Um, then Washington at Oregon. Yeah, I don't even... So, uh, the thing about Washington-Oregon is it's the Pac-12's game of the week, but it's before dark. I don't know what to do with what? myself in this, in this circumstance. I haven't looked Pac-12 football in the eyes in the sunlight in quite a while now, and it doesn't feel natural, really. We um, might not recognize each other. No, this is the three thirty game, and I mean, what is there to say about this? Honestly, I mean, both te- these are the class of the Pac twelve. This, in my mind, is the de facto Pac twelve championship game. Now, Oregon has already stumbled once; they don't have any more margin for error. Mario Cristobal, after that loss to Stanford, kind of needs a big win, doesn't he, to sort of validate his positioning? Because he inherited Justin Herbert, he inherited a pretty talented roster that Helfrich wasn't really making much use of. Willie Taggart was the coach last year. Well, yeah, but... <laughs> but, yeah, I know. He's yeah, there for a year. It's not like this roster really has anything to do with Willie Taggart. So, I, it's an interesting game. You should keep an eye on it. And because we finally get to... This is probably going to be your only opportunity to see Washington play before midnight the rest of the season, given the way ESPN normally schedules their games. So, take advantage of this opportunity to see Jake Browning in a truly excellent defense in Washington. You know, every quarterback on the Washington depth chart is named Jake how many other Jakes do they have? Jacob Eason transferred there, right? Yeah. Who else? What other Jakes? Do you, how many Jakes does a coach need? I don't know. I think I think that he definitely. I think that Chris Peterson definitely has some kind of deal with State Farm. <laughs> Watch like Justin Fields win the Georgia quarterback job permanently, and then Jake Fromm transfers there too. So then he's got the guy whose name most directly translates into that stupid, stupid commercial. Yeah, we. Yeah, well, I mean, hey, look, they are rolling deep with the Jakes. Um, <laughs> it remains to be seen whether or not that's a viable strategy. Okay, what kind of band is Three Jakes? I don't know. All I know is that, like, if Oregon loses, then it can be proven that Justin Herbert is less than Jake. Your source for Big Ten talk. It's off tackle, Empire.